If you brought your Bibles, which I hope you did, you would turn with us to Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue our study as we look at the, the, the way that God used Paul to carry the gospel to the world. And today we're going to cross continents. Today we're going to see that, that God's going to take the gospel to a brand new continent. This is the first time that we see in Scripture that the gospel reaches Europe. And, uh, and it's, it's unique in the way in which God did that. And so in Acts chapter uh, 16, last week we looked at how that uh that paul selected timothy and made him a part of the group that silas joins in uh with them and so now we've got paul and silas and timothy that are seeking where god wants them to take the gospel next and they began to search and and uh, and to begin to carry this gospel to some new places so i want to read through the passage that deals with where they're going to take the gospel then we'll pull up a map and, and trace that out for you so you can see uh, how widespread now the gospel is going to be. And so let's just read these verses together and then we'll come back and look at the map and kind of see where things went, okay? In uh, chapter 16, verse 6, it says, And they went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysa, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So twice they're trying to take the gospel somewhere and the Holy Spirit puts a stop on that. So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. And, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Nepalus, and from there to Philippi. So let's look at where these guys have been and where they are. If we look at our map, um, we're, we see that they started off here in Antioch. This is kind of blurry uh, to me today. Maybe it's my glasses. They've traveled up. They, they hit the, the churches that they already visited, and now they're going to try to go into Asia and, and share, probably down toward Ephesus is what the most scholars think, but God forbid them to go here. So they stay north, and then he forbids them to go into Bithynia, and so they kind of circle on around, and they end up dropping down here into Troas, which was a port city. And from there, they're going to hear the call to come over into Macedonia, which is this region here in Europe. Uh, they're going to stop off at a little island here called Samothrace, and then they're going to travel on over and hit the port city here, and then hit into the city of Philippi. So we're, we're crossing over now from one continent to another continent, and, uh, and they're doing so under the direct leadership and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's interesting to me when we look at this passage how that the Holy Spirit forbids them to go and to preach the gospel. If, if I were to ask you the question this morning, is there ever a wrong time or a wrong place to preach the gospel? Most of us are saying, well, no. But in this passage, there, there, there was a wrong time and a wrong place. God was moving to get them in position to where they're going to take the gospel on into this, this town, this Roman colony named Philippi. And the timing was going to be everything. The timing was going to be important in this. And, and God knew they didn't have time to, to go down into Asia and to set up and to preach. They didn't have time to go up into Bithynia and to preach. That God wanted to get them on around into Troas where they could catch a ship and move on across into this brand new continent. And so what's going to happen here is we're going to see that they, that they began to make this trail. Now, now, the interesting thing is the gospel is about to, to really widen, okay? Remember our first missionary journey, if you look at this. Was, was in this Liberty area right here. And we said that was a two-year journey for them. Well, now this time, they're going to go way up in here, cross all the way through Asia, into Troas, from there to the Samoa Thrace, 
from there into this Nepalis and then into Philippi. It's also going to come all the way back down into these areas as well. And so we're going to see that instead of a little bitty loop this, this first missionary journey took, the second one's going to be a whole lot broader and cover a whole, mo- whole lot more area and territory. And that's what the gospel does. Remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission and he began to tell the disciples that they were going to take the gospel first in a small area and then a larger and larger and larger ripples as the gospel moved out. The third missionary journey is going to be even a little bit bigger. And then the last journey that Paul takes is going to be all the way over into, into Rome, which is a whole other area as well. So the gospel keeps working its way out. What I want us to see here is not that there's a, a good time and a bad time to share the gospel, because I, I guarantee you, if we camp out here and say there, there, there are times where you should not share the gospel, many of you say, thank God I never have to tell anybody about Jesus again. That's not at all what's happening. God was not forbidding the preaching of the gospel. He was getting these guys to the place where they could share the gospel effectively, where they could share the gospel and and God would use it to make a, a huge difference. They would circle back into Asia and they would do some work in Asia later on. But right now, God's going to get the gospel in, in Europe and let it begin to spread in Europe. And so here we see that they began to make these, these journeys. Uh, they're forbidden to speak it in two places, but God puts them down in Troas. And as he moves them down into Troas, uh, he, he positions them in a place that he's already got some people ready and receptive to the gospel. So what I want us to do is to see how he moves them into place and how he, he does this. These guys are, are literally listening to the Holy Spirit each step of the way. They're asking God, God, where do we take the gospel? God, who is it that you want to bring across our path? Who is it that you want us to share the gospel with next? And, and, and God would shut some doors and open other doors. And, and that's still what God does in our life today. I wonder how many of us, though, how many of us make our own plans and never stop to ask the Lord if this is what he has for us? We, we say, well, this is what I want, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm going to go, and this is what I'm going to spend the next several years doing without ever stopping and asking the Lord if that's what he has for us. Most of us, if we're honest, when we make big decisions, we'll, we'll stop and pray about those. But when it's just everyday stuff, we think, well, Lord, I got this. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back in when it's a big decision. If I'm going to buy a house or I'm going to choose a mate or I'm going to do something that's kind of a long-term commitment here, then I'll, I'll probably ask you about that before I do it. But, but Lord, the day-to-day stuff, I'm just going to take that on myself. And, and we see here that it's important that we bring everything that we do under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that we check with him because there, there may be things that we think are wise and things that we think are smart. But maybe things that, that aren't bad things to do, but, but they're not the thing that God needs us to be doing at that particular moment. I believe that God sets up divine appointments where God's got people who are, are, are hungry and are receptive and are, are, are searching. And he brings in their path these, these believers who have the gospel. And, and, and God's timing is everything. And he brings those things together. I think that's what he's doing here in this passage is God is setting this up. And we're going to move into a story about a, a lady named Lydia who is going to, uh, to be uh, a pivotal figure in the, in the rest of Paul's ministry. He's moving into this area called Philippi. The, the letter to the Philippian church is a letter that's written to this church, to this area. We know in some of Paul's writings that the Philippian church was one of the first to support Paul. 
and, and one of the ones that stayed with him the longest uh, throughout his ministry. They gave again and again and again. And I think much of that was, was brought about by a lady we're going to meet today named Lydia. Uh, while we still have this map set up, uh, and, and she's going to be over here in, in Philippi, okay? It's where she's going to be. Her home was in Thyatira, which is right here. And, and the Thyatira was in a region named Lydia, so her name is Lydia. She's from a region named Lydia in a town called Thyatira, okay? So she has gone far from home, this lady we're going to meet today. She has crossed from one continent to another continent. She is a, is a businesswoman, a successful businesswoman in a man's world. She has really made it big. She is a seller of, of purple linen, and we, uh, we know from Scripture that purple was something that was used for royal families. It was very rare. Uh, it was very expensive. That's why the kings liked purple. It wasn't that they were just LSU fans. Although if they were smart, they would have been. But these guys loved purple because it was rare and it was, it was costly and not everybody could afford it. So if you were one that could dress in purple, then, then you were somebody. And, and so she catered to those wealthy people and she built a great business over that. So I want us to read the story about Lydia and I want you to see how that, um, that Paul and them came to meet her. They've crossed now into, into Philippi. Philippi was a leading city, verse 12, in the district of Macedonia. It was a Roman colony. Some people call it a little Rome. It was, it was mimicked and built around the, 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 the pattern of Rome. It was a very um, well-to-do colony. It was full of soldiers. It was, it was a place where great battles had took place for, for, for conquest of this area. And a lot of soldiers still remained in that area. Um, so it's this Roman colony, and it says in verse 12 that they remained in the city some days. So they stay there for a while in Philippi. Paul, by the way, on his second missionary journey, kind of changes his strategy a little bit for evangelizing the world. On the first missionary journey, it seems like Paul and them are just always on the move, that they just go from one town to the next town to the next town to the next town to the next town. It seems that what Paul did was become a little more strategic, that he would pick a, a prominent town with a lot of people, set up there and stay for a while, and the people would come to Paul. Instead of Paul trying to reach out to everybody and working himself silly, he would set up in one place and let the gospel begin to spread out. And then he would move on to another place, set up headquarters, and let the gospel spread out. And churches would be planted in each of those areas. And so kind of instead of bouncing from, from place to place to place, Paul would set up a little bit longer. Some of that strategy may have changed because of what happened in Galatia. Remember how we talked about that Paul went through the Galatia area and hit all those churches in, 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 in Lister and Derby and, and Iconium and all those places and then... As quick as he left, the false apostles moved in and started teaching a false gospel. He, he probably realized, I need to stay there a little bit longer, get them a little bit more grounded, appoint some elders and, and, and people that can lead these things, and then, then once that's established, I can move on. So he's going to slow things down a little bit. He's going to set up some headquarters and stay in some places a little bit longer. And Philippi is one of those first places that he is going to, uh, to do that. So it says that they, they came there. They stayed there some days, and it says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, this little sentence tells us a little bit about the, the culture of what was going on. In, in Jewish life, if there were ten men in a city who were, were Jews and were committed to the Jewish faith, then they would set up a synagogue. Here there's no mention of a synagogue, which tells us that there was probably not even 10 Jewish men in that town who were committed to their faith. 
So instead of that, the women would go out by the river. Uh, in, in Philippi, uh, because it was a, a kind of a, a, a Roman soldier headquarters, uh, they were pretty particular about the religions that they allowed into their city. There was a lot of different religions, but you basically needed to get state sponsorship from what we're told. Judaism was still kind of seen with this skepticism. Um, it, it's a new continent. It hasn't really, Judaism hasn't made its way quite that far. But, but again, Lydia came from this other continent and she comes across and she brings with her her workers. Uh, she brings with her uh, a household of people. And every Sunday they kind of go outside the city. They meet by this river and they pray together. So Paul, in looking around and talking during the week, figure out where these guys are going to be gathering. And on the Sabbath, they go out there and they meet with these ladies. It's a place of prayer. They sit down and they spoke to the women that had come together. And it says, one who heard us. Oh, by the way, let me, let me back up and say this, okay? Luke is the one we believe is writing the, the, the book of Acts, right? Okay. Here we see back up in, um, uh, back up in verse 10. We see the pronouns from being they went and they did and they heard and they listened to being we and us. This is where we believe that Luke joined up with his team, okay? Was at this, at this juncture here uh, in Philippi. It says, look at verse 9. Let me back up and grab it. Verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night that a man of Macedonia was sitting there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then look at this. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What, what's going to happen here in Philippi is that Paul and them are going to kind of be run out of town again like they always are. But the belief is that Luke and, and Timothy stayed behind and helped develop this, this, this brand new church. And so I just point that out to let you know that now there's a fourth member of the team that's joined him, and it would be Luke who's recording all of this for us, okay? So on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the riverside where we supposed there'd be a place of prayer. We sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Okay, Again, that's in the region of Lydia. So she just took the, the, the name of her town, or maybe she was named after that, that region. And uh, it says that she was a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you judge me to be, a faith, to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, there's some interesting things here that we learn about Lydia. And I think these things are going to be critical to the understanding of what this passage is. I'm going to be honest with you. My, my intention today was to cover the whole chapter 16. It's a, it's a passage about Lydia. It moves on and talks about a, a, a demon-possessed girl that was a fortune teller. And then down into Paul's arrest and the, and the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Um, as I prepared that, that's where I had planned on going today. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that I need to slow this down just a little bit. And I need to, to take today and just deal with this, this, this story of Lydia. Because what we see in Lydia's story is what we see every single Sunday in probably every single church around the globe. I want you to get a picture of who Lydia is. She is a successful businesswoman, okay? She is committed to what faith that she has. She's committed to this Jewish faith that she probably grew up with. It says that she gathered regularly to pray, to worship, 
and yet she was still lost. Read this with me again and hear her, her condition. Listen to where she was. Okay? She was a seller of purple goods. That's that successful businesswoman. She was a worshiper of God, it says in verse 14. She had gathered together with others, verse 13. She had gone out there to pray and to worship and was willing to learn. But God had not yet opened her heart to hear the gospel. In churches all across, all around the world, there are people who do just what Lydia was doing. Week after week, they gather. They pray. And they worship. But in those churches are people who still have not embraced the gospel. Now for Lydia, she probably had never heard that gospel before. The gospel was still making its way out. And and, and God had to open up her heart. And he did that. He was faithful to do that. We see again and again all the way through the, the book of Acts that this same type of thing happens where there's a group that's gathering with the knowledge that they've got, gathering with the, the information that they had available to them. And yet until the gospel reached them, conversion couldn't take place. And so when we look at Lydia, we see that, 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 that she's there. Her heart, I think, was hungry. And I think that she was searching, but she was still lost. They gathered week after week to do what they could to appease God, to, to please God, to, to find God, to, to search for God. And I wonder how many people today gather and pray and worship, but still have not heard or embraced the true gospel. Others that think that, that really all it's about is just gathering and praying and worshiping. And if they do that, they've done their part and they've fulfilled their duty and their obligation to God and that God would somehow be, be happy and put a star on their chart and think that, okay, we've accomplished it for another week. You've heard, I, I know I've heard, people say, yeah, well, I, I got to go to church and, and, and do my time. I got to go to church and do my thing. I got to go to, you know, check it off my list this week and and, and for some folks, that's what church is. It's just a place that we go, we do our time, we listen to another message, we sing some songs, we pray some prayers, and we go out of here. And that's, that's really all that it is. I don't know that that's all that it was for Lydia and them, but, but that was all that they had. They hadn't received the gospel yet. They hadn't heard the gospel yet. And I think about how many times people gather. How many churches that lack the gospel that transforms a person's life. And, and please hear, I, I'm not trying to judge any other church. I'm not trying to judge any of you. But, but I know this is real because I was one of those, just like Lydia. I sat in the church from the time I was born until I was 18 years old, hearing sermon after sermon after sermon, trying in my own strength to do everything I could to appease God and to make God proud of me and to make God happy for me and to make God love me. I know what that's like. And so when I read this story of Lydia, man, it grabs my heart. It may not grab yours, but it grabs my heart to think that people can be in church, gathered together, praying and worshiping and still be lost. And I know that's true because that's my story. And that's where I come from. Every Sunday, gathering together, 
I can remember as a lost person how many times that I would be chosen to pick up the offering. And in our church, when you gather to do the offering, somebody that, that was picking up the offering had to lead the prayer. And, and they would call on me, and I would lead the prayers in church. And, and I was leading Bibles. So I was doing all these things, and I was still not saved. I was religious. I was moral. On the outside, I had it all together. But on the inside, I still hadn't heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I look at the story of Lydia, I go, this is a picture of, of, of today as well. This is where people still are today. And you think, well, how can somebody in America go to church and still not have heard the gospel? That's a great question. But I think we need to back up and look at the gospel because you know what? We've got churches today that spend a lot of time telling you five ways to make a stronger marriage. Five ways to get rich. Five ways to, 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 to enjoy all of your, 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 your stuff. But man, I can be married and have a great marriage. And I can have all these other things and still be lost. So I want to take a minute today to back up and, and grab the gospel. What was it that Paul shared with Lydia at that riverbank? That changed her life and the others who lived in her home. What was, what was the gospel that Paul shared that made such a difference? Because here, here's where the Holy Spirit convicted me. He says, Rob, you talk a lot about the gospel. And you keep saying, we need to believe the gospel, believe the gospel. But I don't take a lot of time sometimes just to unpack that gospel. I, I, I talk about the need for the gospel. And the need to be gospel-centered. And, and gospel communities and all these other gospel, gospel, gospel. But what is that gospel? What is it that Paul said that day that the Holy Spirit used to open up Lydia's heart and to bring her into a relationship with Jesus Christ? What was that gospel? And in this passage, it doesn't tell us what Paul shared with her. But Paul's gospel never changed. Paul's message never changed. And so I want to take some time today to look at this gospel because any church that gathers and prays and worships without calling people to the gospel and without explaining what that gospel is is a church that's going to leave people dead in their sins. If a church or denomination substitutes works or sacraments or something else for the gospel of grace, then we leave our people dead in their sins. If we have a Jesus plus theology, we leave our people dead in their sins. So what is the gospel that Paul proclaimed? His gospel was that it's not what we do, but it's what Jesus has done. His gospel was that only those who have embraced Christ can be saved. This message never changed. It was about what God had done for humanity through the atoning work of Christ. So as Paul shows up on a new continent, as Paul begins to unpack the gospel for those that he's meeting in this new continent the gospel from Paul would have been something like this. I don't know how, you know, when you share the gospel, sometimes it's compacted and other times it's, it's, it's expanded upon. I would imagine he shared the expanded version. He was there for many days, it said. He was there for many weeks. They continued to go back and back and back and back and back again on Sabbath days to these people that gathered together. So he's there for a while. He expounds upon the gospel. And, and here's the gospel, and I want you to listen to this, especially if you've been in church all of your life. I want you to make sure that what you've put your faith and your trust in is really the gospel. Because if not, then all we do is rock you to sleep and you slide right into hell. Here's the gospel that Paul spent his life preaching. The gospel was that God had created man in his image. 
that God had created us to be in an intimate, unbroken fellowship with God, but that man chose to sin, and that as man sinned, that fellowship was broken, and that with that broken fellowship came a curse, not only upon Adam and those that follow him, but upon creation itself. So God created us to be in fellowship, and we broke fellowship with God. We go through the flood, and we go through all this disaster that came, and then we see God one day going to a man named Abraham and calling Abraham to come take a walk with him. Abraham, I want you to leave your people, and I want you to come walk with me and follow me, and I'm going to take you to this this land, and I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And that covenant is going to be for you and for your descendants that are going to follow, and that covenant is going to to, to be the, the means by which I bring mankind back into relationship with me. And so years later, God invites Abraham to, to take this, this journey, and Abraham does. And on that journey, God makes a promise, a covenant with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you and your offspring, I'm going to form a nation, going to give you a land, and I'm going to bring into this world a Messiah through your bloodline. And God's going to work for thousands of years to fulfill that promise. But God's going to choose people within Abraham's family. And there's some that God's going to work through and others that God's not going to work through. There's some that God's going to choose to to, to continue this bloodline to be able to bring that Messiah into the world that would be the Savior. And so God begins to work. He begins with a promise to Abraham. And through Abraham and his son Isaac, there's born a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And you know those are the 12 patriarchs, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons was named Joseph, who was sold by his brothers. And we know Joseph's story, how the ups and downs and all the things that happened in the time in prison and all those things, and yet God placed him in leadership in the country of Egypt. And then a famine came upon his family in that whole land. And God moves and relocates his family to Egypt, where they multiplied. Seventy went into Egypt. Millions are going to come out later on. God continues that great work. He, he develops this great country under, under slavery and captivity. And then God comes through a man named Moses to deliver them from their slavery. And God uses Moses to speak to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he won't let the people go. We move all the way through the plagues and we get to that final plague of the firstborn that's going to die. If, and, and, and it's a night called Passover where they took blood and they shed blood. It was, a, it was a foreshadowing of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it was smeared on, those, on the doorpost and, and it was put there. And, and all those who were under the blood were spared. And those who were not were not spared. It was an act of faith in that blood that covered them and protected them from the death angel that passed through that town. And God delivered them and God set them free. While they're on their journey from Egypt into the promised land, God gives Moses the law. And the law was not meant to save them. The law couldn't save anyone. The law was powerless, the Bible says, to save anyone. But it was a, it was a picture of, of how far man had fallen from God's ideal, how far man had strayed, and how that all were sinners and that none could save themselves. And no matter how hard they tried to keep that law, no matter how hard they tried to, to do what God had called them to do, they could not keep that law. In fact, God's chosen people, Israel, rebelled again and again and again and again. Just like we do. And yet God remained faithful to them. 
They were unfaithful to God, but God remained faithful to them. All those years, God's promise that he made, he worked to bring that out. And sometimes it was just through a small remnant that God continued that work. And other times it would flare up and you think, man, the nation's coming back to God. And then it would shrink back down to that remnant. And God continued to work through that remnant to bring us the Messiah. And so God works as as he gives the law and, and he works through this unfaithful nation to bring in the Messiah. And then even as he brings into the Messiah, we learn from Romans chapter 9 that that he took one lump of clay and in that clay he made vessels, some that were fit for honor and some for dishonor. Say, what in the world is that? He says some for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. Here's what God did. He took the nation of Israel, his chosen people, who were hardened and were calloused. And and through that, God stirred the hearts of some through which the Messiah would be born and and, and these these apostles would be called and these guys would come and would follow the Lord. And of that same lump of clay, there were some that were just hardened. And they would be the ones that would cry, crucify, crucify, crucify. Out of the same nation, the same lump, two groups, one that would support the coming of the Messiah and one that would fight against the coming of the Messiah. And and it had to be that way because Christ had to die. And so God, through a judicial hardening, hardens the hearts of some that would crucify Jesus on the cross. It was a temporary hardening of their heart to make sure that the purpose of God was fulfilled, that the Messiah would come and that he would die just as God had said that he would. And his son was sent into that world, born through the Virgin Mary, came to reveal the Father to us. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he revealed the deep sacrificial love of the Father. He lived that sinful life. He died in our place. And he was raised by the power of God, making salvation possible to all. Dying in our place, taking our sins upon him, he paid the penalty of our sin. And the Bible says that he became sin. He that knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. God accepted that sacrifice as a payment for our sin. And the gospel is summarized by saying, it comes to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, the Bible reminds us that it's by grace that we've been saved. That that grace is not deserved, it's not earned, it's not worked for. It's a gift that God has purchased and that he offers to us. It's by grace that we've been saved, and that comes through our faith. Faith that we put in the Lord, the faith that God enables us to even have. This is not our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that none of us can boast. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel that Paul would have shared with Lydia. That that it's not just a a gathering every week. It's not just praying a certain prayer. It's not keeping ceremonial laws. It's not doing any of those religious things. That's not what saved you. What saved you is what Jesus did. And Paul introduces her to Jesus Christ. And yet even today, still many insist on trusting their own works. That's what I did. 
I'll just do a little more. I'll just give a little more. I'll just sacrifice a little more. I'll just help a little more. I'll just witness a little more. I mean, I was leading people to Jesus before I was a Christian. You think salvation and leading somebody to Jesus is about you and your ability? I wasn't even saved, and I was leading people to Jesus. That's how powerful the gospel is. It's also how real Satan can blind us, that I can share the gospel before I've even embraced the gospel. How does that work? Lydia's gathered there, man. She's doing the best that she knows how to do. She's moral. She's upright. She's successful. She's religious. She's gathering week after week with anybody and everybody that will come. And yet she's still lost. How many in our church here and how many in churches around the world come every single week but are still trusting what they can do. Still trusting their their own works, their own hands, their own wisdom. And have yet to embrace Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Good people. Moral people. Religious people. that have settled for religion instead of that relationship with Jesus. Lydia and them had an excuse. They they were on a continent that the gospel hadn't reached yet. They may not even heard what Jesus had done. We don't have that excuse. We don't have that that option to say, well, Lord, I just didn't know. We hear the gospel week after week. But Satan would love for us to be deaf to the message. That's why it says here that even though she was a worshiper of God, the Lord had to open her heart to pay attention to the gospel. The Lord had to open her heart to to hear, to really hear and to let it sink into her heart the truth of what Paul was saying. He was offering her what her heart had longed for, what she had hoped for, what she had searched for maybe. And now the gospel was coming. And, And I believe that that's part of what God does. He takes people whose hearts are searching. And I know there's some that say that purpose can't search for it until God redeems that. I I don't believe that. I believe that God stirs our hearts and God prepares our hearts and that God sets things up so that when the gospel comes, our hearts are ready and the work is done. Lydia is there. In our churches, guys, there's people that hear but don't really hear. They they read but they don't really understand what they need, what we need. It's for the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to the truth, to reveal to ourselves whether we're really saved or whether we're not, whether we're in relationship with God or whether we're just kind of caught up in religion. Because what people need today is not to change religions. They need to meet Jesus. There are some folks who are in in a church, they grow disgruntled, and they say, well, I'm just going to change religions. And that leaves you just as lost as you were before. 
What we need is not to, to change and to give up one religion for another religion. What we need to do is to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel the way that Lydia responded to the gospel. What we need is a relationship with Jesus. That's where I was. That's where Lydia was. And when God opens up a heart and the gospel breaks through, lives change. But in order for people to hear the gospel, for hearts to be open to the gospel, and for lives to be transformed, we've got to speak the gospel. That's our call. That's what God has, has called us and left us here to do, is to share the gospel. Because I tell you what, there may be hearts that are searching. There may be people that are, that are longing to know. They may be sitting in churches right now going, this is just another boring message, just another get through the next hour so I can go home and do what I want to do anyway. And, and they hate church, but they still go. And, and they've, they've, they've closed their heart to the message because it's just the same old stuff, how to do this better and how to do that better and how to be happier and how to be richer and how to be whatever. And, and they're going, can somebody give me something of substance? And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, the gospel does help me to relate to my wife better. It gives me a model for how to lay down my life for her the way that Christ laid down his life for the church. It does tell me how to manage my resources better. It does give me a lot of answers. But guys, it's got to start with a relationship with Jesus or else we're rich and dead. Or we're happily married ever after in hell. If the gospel doesn't start by changing my heart, then all that other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So what we need is not to get people to change religions, but to meet Jesus. And the only way that they do that is when the church speaks the gospel. And the Holy Spirit opens up hearts. And those two things come together and hearts and lives are changed. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But people can't call if they haven't heard. And they can't hear if believers won't speak. And believers won't speak if they haven't found that themselves. So what's required once they hear the gospel? They believe. Believe the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture says, and you will be saved. It's not works. Believing is not a work. Believing is not something that, that, that we do ourselves. It's not something that... It's, Putting our trust in the one that died for us. To believe, to trust, to embrace. We know that the word believe doesn't mean just to, to acknowledge in your head because the Bible says Satan believes. It's more than that. It's to allow it to, to impact our heart in such a way that, that who we are changes that what we put our trust and our faith in changes. That I stopped trusting like I had to do. I had to stop trusting in what Rob could do and just rest in what Jesus had done. Stop trusting in what I could accomplish and how many things I could do and stop putting notches in my belt every time I, I, I shared the gospel with somebody else or every time I led a friend to Jesus or every time that, that I gave an offering or every time I attended a church service or every time I came up during the week and helped my pastor with something. I stopped doing all of that and, and, and counting all of that as rubbish and saying all that really matters is not what I do but what Jesus did. Did these ladies need to gather? Yeah, the church gathers. Did they need to pray? Yes, the church is called to pray. Did they need to worship? Yes, when, when you're saved, you can't help but worship. But those things apart from the gospel meant nothing. 
Those things apart from the gospel left them lost. What do we need to do? We need to abandon all other efforts to appease God and trust that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. I've got to be honest with you. If what Jesus did on the cross was not enough, we're all in trouble. We're in trouble. But some are still trying to add to what Jesus did. And Paul says in Galatians, that's a whole other gospel. It's not even the gospel of Jesus. We've got to trust that Jesus did it all. That he is the one that accomplished our salvation. So this morning, I, I don't know where you're at. I'll guarantee you, had my pastor looked out at me every single Sunday morning, he would have said, Rob is born again. In fact, when I told my pastor that the Holy Spirit had captured my heart, and that I'd given my life to Christ, he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? You are already a Christian. Uh, I said, no. I wasn't, but I am now. You see, I'd gotten so good at doing religion and measuring up to all of man's standards that I'd fooled everybody around me. In fact, I had just about fooled myself. I don't say that to create doubt in your heart and in your mind. But the Bible says that we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. That we need to examine ourselves to make sure that we, are, that we pass the test, to make sure that we, we have authentic and real faith, that what we're, what we're holding on to, what we're grabbing is not just our ability to, to impress others and to impress God, but that we have embraced the true gospel, the gospel that says it's not about what you and I do. It's about everything that Jesus has done. That it's not what we bring to the table, it's what Jesus took to the cross. Maybe you're right where I was. You, you gather, you pray, you worship, you're sincere, you're hungry, you strive to please God. I, I did all that, but I was still lost. Until the simplicity of the gospel. I told you my story before, but guys, I still remember that day that I got saved. I was preaching the message when God's Spirit convicted my heart. And it wasn't because I was a good preacher. I said to those little kids that I was teaching, you can have all the religion in the world and bust hell wide open. And God's Holy Spirit says, Rob, look at where you are. Look at what you're doing. I was 400 miles deep into Mexico trying to win people to Jesus. And God says it doesn't get much more religious than that. And yet you don't have the gospel. You don't have a relationship with me. Why am I passionate about this? Because my greatest fear as a pastor is that some of you would sit in a message week after week after week, year after year, listening to me preach and never embrace the gospel. And the moment you breathe your last breath, you go straight to hell. From a church pew to hell. That's my greatest fear. And the only thing that can change that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit opening your eyes and your heart to the gospel the way he opened Lydia's eyes to the gospel. That day in Mexico, I changed from trusting myself to saying, God, if you didn't do enough, then I'm lost and I will eternally be lost. But I believe you did enough. And I believe that what Jesus did on the cross was all I need 
It's all I want. And that day I put all of my eggs in that basket. I, I didn't say, well, I'll just tiptoe. I'll just put a few. I'll, 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 you know, play both sides. No, I was all in. And I'm still all in. And I'll tell you this. If it takes Jesus plus anything else, I am lost and I'm headed to hell. Because all of my hope and all of my faith and all of my trust is in what he did, not what I do. I mess it up every day. I still fall short every day. But just like God worked through an unfaithful Israel to bring about salvation, God can work through unfaithful people, even now, and accomplish his purpose of salvation for us. The gospel doesn't call us to change religion. The gospel changes, calls us to change God. From a little g to the God. It calls us to stop trusting in ourselves and to start trusting in him. So I ask you again, how many people gather and pray and worship every single week still don't know Jesus? How many gather in churches that still don't proclaim the gospel? who leave people lost in their sins, who, who let them settle for, for substitutes for God, who unknowingly sentence their people to hell because the gospel's not up front and it's not clear. They need the gospel. And those of us who have it need to take the gospel to them. See, Paul did something that many of us don't do. When Paul showed up here, he didn't just assume that because Lydia was gathered with her friends that they already had the gospel. You notice that? He didn't show up and say, oh, y'all already got a church going here, you already got a gathering going here. I tell you what, let me give you the Roman road and you guys just take it to your neighbors. I think that's maybe where we mess up sometimes in church. We assume that because people are coming that they're actually born again, they actually want to live for God. And so we preach sermons about taking the Great Commission, taking the Gospel, taking all these things out to our neighbor, serving our neighbor, loving our neighbor, doing all these things, and we just assume that people are going to grab that when if they're still lost, there's no desire to do that. So Paul starts with the Gospel. Doesn't just assume that these guys are Christians. He starts with the Gospel and says, let's nail this down first. Let's get you to Jesus first. And then you know what? The rest of that stuff's going to take care of itself. And isn't that what happens with Lydia? He shares the gospel. The Holy Spirit opens her heart. She understands. She responds. And immediately, immediately, her heart changes. From being a businesswoman who can accumulate everything she can to saying, you know what? Everything I've got belongs to Jesus. Paul, y'all come stay with me. My house is yours. It can be your headquarters. Paul never stayed with people like that before. Commentaries I read this week said this is the first time Paul actually agreed to stay in somebody's house and accept somebody's help. Her heart was changed. God had prospered her. God had blessed her business. God had allowed her to do probably great things. And the minute she's a believer, she says, what I've got, it's God's. It's yours. Later we read that this Philippian church continued to send Paul support. The Bible doesn't say, and I can't guarantee this, but I just wonder if Lydia wasn't chairman of that committee. Everything she had, it was now God's. Paul, you need it, you got it. If I've got it, you got it. That's what the gospel does. 
But until the gospel takes root in our heart, church is just another thing we do. It's just another place we go. It's just another, just another necessity of life. But the minute the gospel takes root in our heart, everything about us changes. So I guess really the measure of whether the gospel's in our heart ought to be that. Is there a desire in my heart that everything I am and everything I have and everything I'll ever be belongs to the Lord who died for me on the cross? Is that what drives my life? Because if that's missing, then, then something's missing. If I, if I can say, you know what, I still call the shots and I still get to do the thing and I'm just going to go be religious for a couple hours a week and, and that's somehow going to please God and I'm somehow going to slide into heaven because that's my motif, that's what I do, <coughs> something's wrong. The gospel changes us. It changes us completely. So let me ask you this morning, one more time. Are you just gathering and praying and worshiping? Or has the gospel transformed your heart? My prayer all week has been, God, open up hearts to the gospel today. Maybe that prayer, even though I don't know who that's for, maybe that prayer was just for you. Because today's the day that you need to say yes to the gospel. And stop, stop striving and struggling to do it in your own strength. You can't do that. You can't do that. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me can't do it yourself. And, and honestly, this gathering will never be what it was meant to be until the gospel takes root in your heart. So today, maybe you're here, and maybe you're like me who sat in that pew for 18 years, heard many great sermons, tried my best to live that out in my own strength, only to realize that I couldn't, but that I didn't have to because Jesus paid the price. Today, God calls you to come just as you are. Unashamed of him, unashamed of the gospel. Say, so you know what, Rob? I was right where you were. That's where I am. And today, I want Jesus to take preeminence in my life. I want him to sit on the throne. I want him to call the shots. I want everything that I have and everything I'll ever be from this moment forward to belong to him. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I need that relationship with him that was broken by my sin. If that's you today, I want to I call you to step out and to come. Walking in an aisle does not save you. Only God's grace can do that. But guys, listen, when Jesus comes and meets us, we're unashamed. When Jesus meets us and, and, and he encounters us and he opens our heart, we want the world to know that we are now his. And I'm going to ask you to come today, to step out and say, today is my day. You say, Rob, that is hard to do. You don't know how long I've been in this church. Yes, I know how hard that is. Because when Jesus changed my heart, I had to go before my church of about 500 and say, today is the day that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. 
And I'll tell you what, that's a moment that I will never forget. Never forget. Because it was the day. It was my moment to say, God, I am unashamed of you forevermore. So if you're here today, and you gather, and you pray, and you worship, but you're still outside that relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you, and then I want to ask you to come and celebrate with us what Jesus is doing in your heart, okay? Let's pray right now.